Jesus Christ! Shit, I hope you had fun. God! Shut up! Blood and Black Rum Podcast present The Mangler. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from the moonisdeadworld.net and coltsploitation.com. Joining with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Um, pretty good, pretty good. We uh, joined the Coltsploitation Podcast Network, so that's a that's a fun fun scenario right there. We're joining up with uh, other podcasts, so it's gonna be gonna be good times. Yeah, gonna have a gonna have a little. Can you say you joined when you we, when we made it? Yeah, when. <laughs> when... Uh, yeah, we can say we joined. We joined, the, 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 we the, created the, and joined. Let's say, did the U.S. join the U.N. or were they, the found, like, one of the founding bodies? Yeah, that's true, I yeah. guess. I guess we didn't join, we just created. But anyway. But you can join! That's right, you can join. You can, We uh, want you! Yeah, you can join up. Uh, we will cross-promote each other and, and all that fun stuff. Perhaps have some uh, hosting, you know, some co-hosting things or, like, do a, a crossover event, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Blogs, too, they'll be on there. Yep, coltsploitation.com will have all kinds of reviews. We've been doing a few right now. We did Malibu High the other day, or t- yes, today, actually, it went up, um, which I watched the other day with, a, it was from Vinegar Syndrome. Crazy film, really strange, um, and one that we probably should do for the podcast at some point, because it's overall pretty ridiculous it's like one of those you know when you see the the cover of it you think that it looks a lot like you know something like a porkies uh or meatballs something like that it's fun fun little sex romp meatballs yeah that like the porkies exploitation ripoff yeah it's uh well it it also shares a uh an actress from meatballs part two so it makes sense but it is it's it looks like on the surface it looks like a fun little sex romp until it isn't. Until it turns into a prostitution slash crime film, and it's a really weird combination. So, but check it out. There's a review up on this on the site, and also you know we'll be up there as well because we're part of the network. So, um, but anyway, you t- know what is a fun romp? What what the movie we're doing today? Yeah, the fun the the fun filled '90s horror film that we're doing today called The Mangler. Um, if, I don't know how many people actually know about the Mangler that well. Do you, did you know about the Mangler before we actually brought it up? Like I actually brought it up to do it. No, not at all. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't think so. I didn't. That picture you used to promote it, uh, you post on Facebook today. It made me think like, Hey, I, I didn't know Robert England was in death wish five. Yeah. It's pretty misleading, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how well known the Mangler is. People who like Stephen King fans will definitely know the Mangler from his short stories, um, because it was part of a short story collection um, that he wrote. And and you actually question this a little bit after watching the film. You you question how much uh, a story like the Mangler from Stephen King could actually be scary. It's not only it's not even just that. I mean, I've never really read too many horror novels or short stories. But you're wondering. And- but- but I've like read some. I don't ever find them to be scary. Yeah, I don't. Know. I don't read a telltale horror, you know, or any of like Poe's work because it's mainly you know what I've you know experienced and go. Oh, I'm, 
you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm scared. It's more like you can get, like, you can immerse yourself mentally and kind of get like a creepy vibe. Yeah, but, but are you, but are you sitting there and be like, oh wow, like I think it's more unsettling. You're supposed to feel unsettled, not so maybe not so much um, that you are really overwhelmingly scared because I don't really think that happens. It doesn't even happen to me with like horror movies. Like I don't. For the most part, I've never really been scared. Uh, just, you know, jump scares maybe, but no, nothing like palpable where I'm like, holy shit, you know, that's, this is like, I'm very, very scared and afraid right now. Maybe only a couple, the orphanage when I first saw it was one of those. Um, but I don't know if I've ever been totally scared by a film. Maybe, oh, oh and that's speaking from now, but maybe when I was a kid, sure. Or a um, teenager. Or I a could teenager. Have, I could... It'd be very easy as like a, you know, somebody, even even now, like to watch something like, like Videodrome, and you know, get like a sense of like, you know, tension and like creeped out and sure, clo- you know, not exactly scared, but like I think you know, I film lends itself a lot more to being unsettling. And creepy and possibly, you know, scaring you than say, I think, like what literature could possibly. Yeah, I think. I think the only way for like like, literature to like come across as creepy is if it's narrated, like it's like someone's telling you like a campfire story. Yeah. Because then they can use. You're like in the atmosphere of it. And they can use like, you know, their voice to inflect certain things. And Well, I think that that does happen with horror stories as well is if you put yourself in the right mood if you're sitting in a kind of darkened area and you you're reading by candlelight which is what i do um then you may be more subjected yeah subject to that to that scare to the to the tension and terror in it um but like with the mangler specifically from stephen king i don't really think that it's even meant to be read as sort of a scary story it's more Taking uh, the, just taking the piss. Yeah, basically. It's and more now, a, not, not like that. It's more. I have a contract. I have to meet of stories to pump out. I don't know about that, but I mean, it, it's definitely more of like a a tongue in cheek horror story. And it's been a while since I've read it, so I don't remember it particularly well. But I think that it's not one of those that you read and you're like suppose you're meant to find it, you know, very scary. I mean, it's the whole premise itself is outlandish and ridiculous. It's about a laundry, a giant laundry machine that kills people. It's possessed and kills people. It's not, I mean, even just saying that right now, it's like, that's kind of a joke. I mean, it's an amazing premise. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an amazing premise. If you're looking to do like scary movie or something like that, you know, and make fun of it and, and, and like make fun of a possession film or something. But on, on, you know, on the surface, would I really call that a scary premise? Like a, no, I, I you know now thinking about it, I can think of one film that's you know probably is a not probably is an authentic scary film, Shining. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty scary if once you like when you first see it and you get like you know yeah. set into the overall just tone and atmosphere that Kubrick sets up. Yeah, which he always does brilliantly. Yeah, I mean. So that's like one easily off the top of your head, and it's a Stephen King one. That is true. What do you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm... and he hates the film. <laughs> well, the Mangler certainly, even if the story was scary, the film itself is clearly not scary whatsoever. It's a New Line film. It's a New Line film. <laughs> it's a '90s film. It's uh, it was released in 1995. Uh, it's a Toby Hooper film. So right there, there's already that sort of precautionary, you know, 
well, did he direct it? <laughs> did he actually direct it? Uh, did he not? Uh, well, I can tell you that Steven Spielberg probably would not have wanted to put his name on it. So there's no, there's no. Uh, I don't think Spielberg did Poltergeist. I guess. I mean, I, I guess what whatever happened. I think. He, I mean, he was involved, but I don't think he. You know, I think he probably had a lot of uh, influence over what happened with it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Toby Hooper's name is still on it, so Toby Hooper probably doesn't care that much. Because he was laughing his way all the way to the bank, so he's <laughs> like, I don't care if they think Steven Spielberg did it. I'm still making the money, so, you know. And You're skipping to the bank to cash the, that check singing We're in the Money. The only thing that really doesn't bode well in Toby Hooper's favor is that generally his later films really are not good whatsoever. And to so, be fair, yeah, that's a lot of horror. I was gonna preface, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna state that after, in that you can't tell me John Carpenter's Ghost from Mars is, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah and pretty much anything that John, the, that John Carpenter's released lately, like The Ward, um, Ghost of Mars, yeah, Ghost of Mars, um, or and, ha- and yeah, again with anybody else too, say like Rest His Soul, George Romero. I mean, sure, Wes Craven. Had a, quite a few duds later in his career. Thank God for Scream 4. Rest his soul as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean... You I think I think that has more to do, too, with the fact that... Just be... I mean, I, I don't know why. And it's just, like, when, the, when it came to their later films, like, no studio would give them a budget to work True. with. I mean, great, they never really got made their films on a high budget to begin with. You know, none of them. No. I mean, if you look, think about it, like, what was the film like Romero got to do actually on a decent budget land of the dead. Yeah. So it was a later, way later, way, way later. later. And then, you know, but I mean, even still, I mean, I'm not saying like budget has to do everything to do with it, but you'd think like, Hey, these guys have made a shit ton of money, you know, over the years, mm-hmm. you know, studios be more willing. I don't think it's necessarily, that's definitely not the manglers problem. No, <laughs> that this, that's the budget is far and away. The least amount of the least part of this film's problem. But what I'm like, what I'm saying, like, I mean, well, usually with a smaller budget, like say Romero's later films, and you know, what Scream Four had a good budget for Wes Craven, because Scream Four, so he got you know, I think like with the, you know, the smaller budget comes not as good actors mm-hmm. because you don't have as good as actors, they can't you know really move the story along. You can have a crappy story. Or one that's kind of outlandish and make it work if the actors, you know, involved are good. And, you know, the effects and all of that. I think it's all, all you know, it's all part of the problems. I yeah. think, And I think that kind of hampers all these, like, filmmakers like that, Toby Hooper included. Mm-hmm. I mean, but he did get lucky. He did He did have Robert England in this. He had he Robert England. He, he did have Ted, Ted Levine in this. So, I mean. So, yeah, I mean, he, he was working with some people that were really unknowns and and as you can see in this in this film at the beginning of uh or i'm sorry at the end of with the credits you know we have this um vanessa pike who's playing sherry who who is really i mean one of the main characters in the film and she's actually an unknown i mean this was her first role so it's an introduction role and you know they were working with quite a few people who really weren't well known at all um i think that like like we'll we'll talk about the Mangler has a lot more problems than just acting, and uh, and really, it shouldn't have acting issues because it does have Robert Englund and Ted Levine, and it feels like they're really in this film for the paycheck and, and not much else. 
And that or to have fun. I would say more to have fun. I think they're both kind of having a ball with this. I hope so. I hope they had fun. I think they knew exactly what they signed up for and how fucking ridiculous it was. And yeah, like Robert Ingram was like, I'm going to be walking around with crappy makeup on and fucking act like I'm like, like I, I survived polio near, and I'm nearly paralyzed. Yeah. You know, hopping around doing a little jig on like crutches and knee braces and whatnot. Sign me up. I I, it's, I mean, that probably would have been fun coming off of like Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Would have been new. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm really getting bored of of this character, so let's do something a little bit different. You still have to wear the makeup, you still have to look disfigured, but at least you get to do something a little bit different. Um, all right, let's take a break. And we'll come back, talk about some beer, and we'll then go into the Mangler. Stay with us. This is Full Starts, the show about those presumptuous pictures that studios were sure would spawn a franchise, but didn't. So back on Eternia, yeah. Skeletor sort of locates the key on Earth mm-hmm. with Google Maps. <laughs> and then asks where his mercenaries are. He's had uh, to walk past those mercenaries to get into the room. Yeah. Guys, Skeletor is rude. Go on. Okay, go on. Film does not know what mercenaries are. Evelyn assembles them, but then introduces them to Skeletor as his finest warriors. Are they his warriors, or are they freelancers? Okay, name them. Beastman. Um, Come uh, on. Come on. There's at least one. You, there's one that's an easy one. Uh, I know. The, because some mother is always trying to ice skate uphill. The blade. Thank you. Yeah, that's two. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the fact that we were able to name two you named characters two. in this you film were able to name two. instantly uh, uh, makes it better than Planet of the Apes. If you like that, you can hear more on iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook at Full Starts Pod. Thanks for sticking with us. We're back to talk about some beer tonight. Um, and this one, we've n- we've never had this brewery on the show at all before. To be honest with you, I've only had one of their beers. Yeah, I've, jo- I've only had one as well. Which one? Because... I think it was uh, IPA, maybe? Lager for me. Yeah? All right. Well, we're talking about Old Saratoga Brewing Companies. Um, and today, we're talking about their Death Wish IPA, which Death Wish, uh, if you haven't seen like the Super Bowl commercials, uh, it's our local coffee uh, beanery, I guess you would say, uh, roaster. Expensive as shit. Expensive as shit. <laughs> Very expensive <laughs> coffee. But it's good coffee. It's... Um, it's worth the price. It's well, it is really good coffee. <laughs> it's uh, one of the stronger blends of coffee. Although they want you to feel like it's the strongest, you know the. I I see I, what I don't get though about like oh it's the strong. I don't give a shit what like with the caffeine content mm-hmm. of my coffee. I don't drink coffee to, to get the caffeine to get caffeine or energized. No, I, I agree. I drink because I just love the taste of coffee. Exactly. Me too. And that's. That's why I drink mine. So that's why I don't go out of the way to get Deathwish because it is really expensive. But this Deathwish IPA from Old Saratoga Brewing is infused with the coffee. So it's a coffee IPA. And that's a really weird concept. I don't think I've ever seen anybody else do a coffee IPA. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are some that do. Yeah. But I've never seen one around where we are. Um, so it's a really interesting premise, and I was interested in it when I went to film my growler at Market 32, which is our price chopper. It's a rebranded. Um, it's them trying to be Whole Foods. That's right. It is. It it works. It's working. They got Starbucks. They got 
a oh, yeah. literally what it is. I've been growler fill. I bet I've been in there. It's literally just they remodeled it to look more like a Whole Foods, mm-hmm. and they have like more of a Whole Foods selection. Like look at all the organic. Food. Yeah. Meanwhile, down out here in buttfuck nowhere, only four, you know, thirty five minutes away, we don't get that. Mm-hmm. We just get regular price chopper. Yeah. Yeah. What can you do? But this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but this Death Wish IPA. Um, when I talked to the guy who filled my growler, he said it was uh had an undercut. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't actually. Oh wow. Yeah. Man no, bun? Uh, nope. No man bun. No, I'm pretty much just a regular old Joe. Surprise. regular guy no but the the guy I talked to he said this one uh because they do samples there and they let me sample it before i got the growler which he i was not even going to do that that's i was a, just going to order it that's a terrible idea why because i would literally just go there like hey give me a sample. yeah that's true you could just go yeah, there and do that but but no i i i, I was appreciative because you you might want to you might sample one and you'd be like no i really don't like that one so it's a good, it's good. Deal. No, no, it's a good idea. It is good because then, like, if you're unsure about stuff, no, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I would abuse it. It's dangerous, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I would abuse it. I mean, I agree because I would be like, oh, I've never tried that style of beer, or I'm very hesitant on them because they're hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Like it goes. Like some of them I kind of like, and yeah. some of them I don't like at all. So I'd have to be like, yeah, I'd like a sample of that because I wouldn't just go off, you know. And, yeah. Go off all hot, half cocked, and yeah, fucking get it, and then make. I made a terrible mistake. Um, but so I, t- I had a sample of it. He said it was a, a very uh, hit or miss beer. Like people have a, are very opinionated on it. Some really like it, and then others really, really don't. So it, there's no real halfway point. And here. I can see that too. Yeah, the idea of a coffee IPA is very much you're either going to enjoy or you're not. I can't see someone drinking this I'm, and being like. I mean, for one thing, you have to really like coffee. Because if you don't like coffee, like you're immediately out. You're, just count yourself out. It's not. It's not going to happen. Um, and then the other part is you have to really like IPAs. Because if you don't like IPAs, you, you're pretty much out. So don't go. <laughs> just don't even go there. Um, but then, if you like both of them, there's still that chance that you won't like them mixed together. Because it is a weird combination. But I think that it works pretty well. No, I would agree too, and I'm very, I'm very taken aback and surprised by that. I, when you told me about it, I thought it was a terrible idea to mix the two, and I can't, re- couldn't really see them being mixed together. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be honest, with you, they're not really mixed. Yeah, at least for me, the the taste profile is very much coffee in the front. Right. You get. Like you're drinking a cup of coffee, and then like the back end is an IPA, tastes like an IPA. That's what it's I not. Get re- it's not really. When I drink it, I don't really get the two flavors mixing and blending together. It's very segregated. That's what I get too. Yeah, it is. It's uh definitely heavy on the coffee in the front. I I'll agree with that. I don't know how much coffee is actually in this IPA, but I have to say that it, it's got to be quite a bit. Because of how I imagine, much I was saying, flavor I ma- that you get. I was saying, I imagine you'd have to have quite a bit to kind of counter the IPA taste. I can't imagine it'd be like, like you know, like if you're drinking like a white IPA, it's like yeah. just like a hint of zest, and, little zest of orange. Beer. And I wouldn't say that actually the hops are super strong in this IPA. No, either. they're not. It's not. It's actually for the the hop and IBU characteristic of the beer is pretty mild. For an IPA, it's still it, it's an IPA profile. It's not like it's a pale ale, you know. 
but you no, you're you're definitely right. It's not it's not overwhelming at all. Like how a lot of IPAs, especially West Coast IPAs today, taste like you know they're double IPAs. Right. I so no, it's more on the mild side. There's definitely a stipulation with this drink, though, is that I would not recommend having it with like a food pairing because Mm-mm. I think that that it really t- it really changes your like what your taste, what you have on your tongue. Um, and so I would I would definitely not recommend having like any food with this. This is really a, a sipping beer and not Almost like a dessert beer. Yeah, yeah. Campfire is what I think they're trying. Oh, sure, like, yeah. Like Camp, tr- campfire, like, I could definitely see. Like what they're trying to go for, because it's supposed to be like one of their fall beers. Um, I don't know if it's a fall per se, but I think yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't uh, really characteristic as right. No, yeah, it's, it's like not a something summer beer. <laughs> you I don't pound after. I don't. I don't. Hot day. Yeah, I will never get like pairing IPAs with summer. No, thank you. Even if it's a session IPA, great. See, I do. I I get the pairing with the IPA, but I definitely would not pair yeah. the Deathwish IPA no, with it, a hot summer day. Yeah, just, hun- when it's a 85 and... Hit me up with that coffee IPA. 90% humidity. You just got done mowing for three hours. Is that what you want, an IPA to... Yeah, I can do that. No, yeah, you're yeah, wrong. for sure. Wrong. Um, <laughs> also of interest that I tried is uh trog's double bach which is they call their trogonator and uh it was a pretty standard double bach um we covered a double bach earlier on the show the jenny double bach and it was very similar to that in that style very bready um had a very dried fruit taste to it uh sort of like a raisiny taste um and it's also somewhat similar, and got to be something of a brethren to the old style that we had that one time. Yeah, from they've got to yeah. be, you know what I mean? They've got to be uh, in within, like the, within the same family because they do have that same dried fruit sort of oh, yeah. thing sitting in your basement <laughs> uh, style <laughs> to them. Mold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Monks uh, <laughs> just putting things in their monastery and just letting them sit around for a while so alcohol you know yeah. ferments from it. that's what they that's what it's basically like so i like the double bach it's not my definitely not my favorite style i uh, didn't try it and I, I, I would not try it i only got a 32 ounce of it because again i am not a huge fan of it but i do like it here and there so it's amazing how different a box and double box taste mm-hmm. like literally how the care like box are multi but yet light and easy you know delicious to drink yeah and then double box double right? it's like, like very what, difficult like, like what the fuck did you do <laughs> you let him sit around too long that's what you did um and then i had this weekend i had sierra nevada's 2017 Oktoberfest, which i thought was really good uh basic you're pretty much everyday Oktoberfest. so i don't think we've ever had sierra nevada's Oktoberfest on here have we on um, here i don't think so no but i th- i'm pr- i'm yeah, I've had it before. Yeah, I would be interesting. I, I don't ever remember it being anywhere near my your favorite type of Oktoberfest. No, yeah. uh, I would be interested in covering it for here because I know it's out. I got a six pack of it the other day. Uh, everybody drank them all on me, so <laughs> I think I only had like two of them uh, the entire day. But that's okay. Well, that's what you nice get for to, buying. A six. It's nice to share. That's what you get that's all for... I could find is a six. I couldn't find a twelve. Oh, they got my TJs. Do they of the Oktoberfest? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I've, find already, I've already seen them out when I was like, mm. I know. I, I was at Hannaford, and I that's what I got. I grabbed because that's the only thing. And no, I was at Price Chopper, and that was really the only Oktoberfest that I could find. So I grabbed it 
because they didn't have anything else. But it was only a six. I really did want a twelve, but you'll well, find it soon enough. Yeah, I'll grab it at, at another time. But uh, other than that, I haven't had anything else. Have you? No. Uh, actually, Nothing new. You know, I think I have had a couple things new, but I they're not really sticking out. So I'm sure we'll cover them in the past. But the main main uh, attraction here is the Deathwish IPA. Definitely check that out if you can find Old Saratoga Brewing around you i don't really think it reaches it's, out very far I think it's, it's a, only the capital. very much a local brew i think it's only the capital region up here in new york yeah i think so um but if you if you ever stumble upon it definitely check it out because even if i mean i would i would recommend it even if you're not sure about it because you could really end up liking this and, and like coffee ipa would be like your new thing uh, cause it is a little bit different from, you know, just having, adding a bunch of colors to the, IPA. Yeah. the rainbow, <laughs> you know? the rainbow to the IPA. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting, uh, combination and I, or, or even if you can find anything that's like a coffee IPA around you, try give it, it a out. Try. Yeah. Huh? I think you might like it. Tell us what you think. That's right. Um, all right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the mangler. Hi, this is Derek from the wild pitch. And I'd like to talk to you about something that's very important to me. My podcast, The Wild Pitch. Now, since you clearly don't have access to a skip button, listen to this. Eat as many brats as possible. And this. An in-home cat communication system that allows your feline friends to talk to you through a series (laughs) of intricate bell rings and button presses. And how about that? I imagine it would be about (laughs) as satisfying as drinking orange juice after having a burrito. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, uh, I don't know, stare into the sun and you might hear it. It'll buzz in your ears. All right, let's get into the mangler. The mangler. The mangler. mangler. So it's a fun uh, title to the, say, really. The the opening credits for it sh- should literally be like the mangler. I know. Well, you know, and that's the that's the thing too. We can we can talk about it right off the bat because the film starts off on a very on bef- actually after the actually the after the factory accident the the initial scene with the mangler just mangling up some old woman which by the way that factory looks like it belongs in like the 1880s yeah uh condemned after the uh triangle uh factory fire there <laughs> something like that you know upton sinclair's in there in disguise getting ready to write the jungle yeah he's got a, yeah he's got a little mustache on it's just no, the building looks like it's like something like like the Willy Wonka factory. It's still set in the nineties, but the people walking around there and working like the setting makes it look like it's something from like Oliver, like someone yeah, one of the work really like one of the workers is gonna walk up like, please sir, I want some more. <laughs> it's so fucking it's well, and then you ridiculous have, right off the bat. It's ridiculous, and you have the foreman who's like Stereo- right out of like and- uh stared like. He's almost like one of like a ship's ship's like foreman or something yelling out like oh boy you know he's got that really ridiculous voice that Come on so, let's let's work you know so out of place in the in a factory setting you know you understand his like, voice well his voice is like all out of place in general cuz his voice is like really goofy so it is really goofy it's it's weird because like that's the the first thing that you're accustomed to in the mangler is like this guy yelling orders, barking orders to young ladies who are d- working on an iron factory and like his in- blackjack dealing like dealer suit that he's wearing of like the the vest and right there's slacks a, there's and- definitely a very strange time period anachronism here. It's like inside of the factory looks. Really, really old. Everything about it looks, 
you know, like it would be in the 1800s. You go outside. Like manager's office. Yeah, manager's right. office is like has like a phone that you have to plug in to the, to op- the, the operator's switchboard, switchboard. Uh, and then dial out with a rotary. Uh, yeah, everything about it is. But just, only that, so it's it's on like a second level, like and the manager can oversee all the workers and like come hobbling on out like walk. Oh, damn you! you yeah. know? It's a really weird thing. Like, it literally, like, overseeing, like, the accidents and saying, like, oh, he's like, yeah, another one's dying! <laughs> and then you have, after that, though, you have Ted Levine's character, Johnny, who's a detective. You have him in his quaint little town, the, the music playing, like, as a fairy would be fluttering by in a <laughs> Disney movie. Like, doo-doo-doo-doo. It's, it's a very, like, uh, tonally off moment in there like we just saw a woman horribly mangled to death her body is simply a bucket of mush and then here comes johnny in his quaint little hometown and his grand cherokee because god damn it everybody in the like early to mid 90s film drives a jeep grand cherokee around in these quaint small towns not only that, are chirping. yeah. Not only that, he almost gets in an accident with the moving truck and the like. Quaint music still playing, like yeah, yeah. There's a uh, there's even though you you would think you would expect at that point with this accident there would be a swell of violins or something like to build like tension, yeah. like that. Yeah, no, no. Oh, he almost got in a car accident for no apparent reason. Just truck came out of nowhere, and he and and pretty much he was driving like an asshole too. So like this this was obviously a residential area, probably a twenty mile per hour speed limit. So <laughs> any sort of accident like that would have been uncalled for. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, it, it's very weird tonally, and you definitely have that feeling of, like, this is a 90s TV movie, or a 90s TV sitcom, like, right away. It's, a lifetime, it's Lifetime throwing their hat into the horror genre. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, like, if you were to look at this, you wouldn't find this to be out of place on, like, UPN in the 90s. <laughs> after, after the fucking ice chest gets dropped on them, and you hear... Ted Levine yell, no nuts! You know, it's, then just like roll seventh heaven. Yeah, you know? or, or like uh, sort of like a audience's like, ooh. Or, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very weird shift tonally. And you'll we'll find that throughout all of the Mangler is it's, that it'll shift from like, oh, there's just some grisly violence that just happened in the factory again to like all like a very comedic and sort of like slapstick humor. To it, that's Ted Levine just being Ted Levine and and sh- yelling out curse words as we have in the beginning of the the podcast. It's so uh, great. It, it's just it's just absolute. this is the the Mangler is basically Ted Levine comedy hour, uh, <laughs> and I, like you said, he's he's either having a lot of fun with this. I think he, that, or he's drunk, or he's drunk, <laughs> or he just really like does not give a shit whatsoever, and he's just. He's just going along. He's with like it. probably like I I was Buffalo Bill for God's sakes, and now here I am. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> I'd be really interested to see if Ted see, Levine looks back on the Mangler and like what what he thinks about I, it. No, like see, I think he, like somebody like again like like it's only been a couple of years after Silence of the Lambs, two three years. So it's not like his stock fell that far. I literally think he probably took the job because for money. But not like just for the paycheck, but he's like, hey, this would be like a fun little thing to do. Again, like somebody who loves acting. It's like nowadays when you see like old, well-respected actors like Michael Caine, 
Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, and they're in like shit. And it's like, if you ask them, like, why are you Al, Al Pacino, like, dancing around like an idiot in fucking Adam Sandler movies? Like, Al, you're one of the most well respected actors. Why? He's like, I just love acting. I just want to do it. I don't fucking something to do. Yeah, I don't fucking care. I yeah. It's, I mean, I hope you it's know, not more so they don't like they don't care. It's more like I just love to act. I just want. And it's like, sure, I'll do it. Why not? It'll be fun. You know. At this point, they got their money. They don't care. It's just all about you know. I could see that with Ted Levine, or I could see that he was drunk. <laughs> Either one of those, really, because a lot of times he does act drunk in this film, just like. Almost improvisationally, like throwing out lines. His voice, his voice, kind of comes off as you know, is sounding like you know, like he, he's drunk, a little slurred, like rolling, yeah. rolling through his lines. And I think I think that's just his, that's just his accent. But it is sometimes but, his delivery. Yeah. But if you just think about like you know him being Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs, it's like that. Wild Wild West is General Bloodbath McGrath. If you remember that, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I can did, see. Do you sound like that in like Monk too? Um, yeah, I he has sort of that drawl. I yeah. would say I would I would describe it as a draw where he's like rolling all of his words into one phrase, and you can you can even hear it sometimes. We try to cut it out a little bit in the beginning of the the podcast with all of his uh, his <sighs> vocal deliveries, where he's kind of rolling into the next phrase that he's all right, saying. Yeah, it's very... already, and it's hard to like cut that. So I could see that maybe just being a draw. But anyway, whatever it is, he's doing a great job in The Mangler because if you had no other reason to watch The Mangler, if he played, it's Ted Levine. If he played it straight, it, I don't think it, this film would no. be enjoyable at all. There's a difference here between how we took in Mako last episode, which was really a difficult film to get through entirely <sighs> because it's, it's a very it's a train wreck in all regards. And then there's the Mangler, which is also a huge train wreck. It it makes no sense whatsoever. Not a lick of sense. Doesn't make sense. It's but fucking beautiful. It, it's wonderful. This is the this is the beautiful train wreck. Yeah, it's wonderful in the way that it's just fun to watch and roll with it. And you're just like, I don't know what's happening, but it doesn't matter because Ted Levine is flipping out again. You know, it's it's great. Um, and I think that's what you get with the Mangler because. I want somebody to do inappropriate holiday road for this film. Uh, they could. They sure. They <laughs> totally could. Uh, Mrs. Whatever her name is is getting eaten up by the mangler. Playing play holiday road there. You could totally get away with that. Uh, fucking just driving the jeep all around. You know. Just. <laughs> yep. Do 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 Um. No, but you know, let's talk about the plot a little bit because, like I said. It makes no sense. How much drugs did Stephen King take when he was writing that? Well, to be honest with you, I don't think a lot... Not a lot of this is in this story at all. This was actually... So just Toby Hooper's... Right, like, it was just... a screenplay by Toby Hooper. You know, he's, he's basing it off of Stephen King's original story, but this is an adaptation, and they do use some leeway with it. And I, I don't think a lot of well, what's it's, actually it's, included is well, in the story. It's a 20-page short story, then stretching this film to nearly two hours. Well, that's the thing, too, that's is like... that you have to kind of look at it from the perspective of Toby Hooper and the two other writers that, you know, that helped out with him, Stephen David Brooks and somebody else. I can't even remember. But um, is the, from their perspective, why... What what appeals to you about 
The Mangler as a short story, which was pretty short, that you're like, I need to make a full-length movie. And not just a full-length movie. I need to make a 100-minute a movie out of this, an hour and 45-minute movie out of this. What's this, uh, What's to say that New Line didn't, like... That's true. Maybe they did. Maybe they, they latched onto the story. They got, like, they got it for cheap, and then... They were like, fucking make it. You know, just, and I don't they... care what you have to do, just just keep going. And this film really does keep going. It just keeps going. Everything just keeps getting more elaborate and more ridiculous as it goes on. So you start out, you have this uh, this mangler machine. It's it's a lawn, giant laundry press that kills people. Okay. By the way, do, do things like this still exist? Like giant laundry presses like this? Fact, laundry factories like this. Oh, like I it, have no idea. Like, I've never again, heard like, of a laundry factory, like, so... Like, again, that's news to me. Like, this fucking... Like, like you said, it's like 1800s. Like, well, you know, go to bring the clothes down to the factory and you know, well, we have, press I guess, the real good down. And I guess it makes sense for their town because everybody's a rich asshole in their town. <laughs> so everybody's like, I need my, my, uh, my clothes pressed like perfectly perm-pressed so yeah i don't know i doubt this is a thing anymore so those were probably the first to go i don't even think that would be like a thing in the 90s <laughs> i have i really have not a clue unless you I'm like not, i'm not rich enough to have my my clothes pressed at all so i definitely don't think i have a laundry factory in town that can do it for me uh, i have but uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Do you, is this is this a thing? Do you work in a laundry factory? Do you feel threatened by a possessed machine? <laughs> Let us know, and we'll contact the proper G- authorities. Uh, you know, a giant steamer. I have no idea. That's I, I don't know. Maybe it, you know. And and when this when this uh, story was written, it was earlier too. It it was not in the nineties. It was probably in the eighties. So still, again, so still maybe at that time. I, again, I really don't know. still. You got dry cleaners and you got fucking washers and dryers. I don't know. That, you know. Or maybe is this like the factory that churns out clothing? So they have to have a big laundry press to press the no, clothes. It's, because it's a laundry it's a laundry factory. That's true. It's the it's, blue ribbon laundry. Yeah. It's, so so, I, so it's it's not It's a good question. I I don't have an answer. I was I really say, don't so know. it's not they're making clothes. Yeah. I really don't know. I don't know if that's a thing that exists or if it did exist in the 90s. I don't have that answer. Um, But one thing that, I mean, what I was saying is, you know, you have this giant mangler machine, this this machine that presses clothes. It kills a person. Okay. Got it. That's Well, first, that's, well, well, first it um, mangles it, right. uh, Robert England's niece. Yeah. It is the responsible party in the, the death of his niece, for sure. Um, no, she didn't die. What? No, she in the intro. Oh, she gets, I got you. I got you. She, she gets yeah, cut. it just cuts her. Yes, I get. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it was his daughter that died. That's right. But we don't see that. That's we don't see that. Yeah. Um, but but I I can go along with that. I can go along with this machine that you know it gets a taste for blood and it's like wow, I kind of like the human blood aspect. You know, it's 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 a lot more yummy than eating a bunch of clothes all the time. I uh, can go along with that, but then we just get more and more elaborate. So this machine now is—it uh, also transfers its spirit into an ice chest that it comes in contact with. Uh, you know, when it when there's a, a ice chest that falls on the machine and it creates a li- lightning spark, and, which is uh, a very very small plot point. It is a small plot point, and it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. But, it, but it, it doesn't a, make but, sense. But it's a Why? big plot point in the sense because it's. The machine trans, you know, 
transfers a bit of itself into you know other things, mainly people. But it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It's stupid. Why? <laughs> stupid. It's stupid. I don't understand the whole idea of like this. This now inanimate chess ice chess box that's like all of a sudden kill some boy that we don't even know people and yeah. kill somebody. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's so out there and it has no place in the actual plotting of this film. Like it just is a an event that happens and after it happens everybody's just like okay, well let, that's over with. Let's, let's focus on this mangler again. It, it's almost it's it doesn't it's not necessary to the plot whatsoever. You're already looking at uh, uh like a, an over 90 minute film it's an hour and 45 minutes from there and i would say a good chunk of the a, a chunk of that is from just the ice chest box where tom uh, ted levine gets to go ape shit on it and oh, it's bash so it with great. a giant sledgehammer so so great just have a shit fuck and right there in that <laughs> scene is one of those scenes where you have to think like was he drunk because <laughs> there's, there's he just a stumbled moment. on set one day well yeah and he then he stumbles into the garage knocks things over and that almost seems like that was impromptu like it just happened and he just like, accidentally Toby Hooper's it. like we've only got a million dollars keep rolling you know and uh that almost seems like that was just a happy accident that <laughs> so, added to the comedy of it. so great just Sam just like and just falls in the background and like they're just looking at the chest machine and he comes back out with a sledgehammer and just starts smashing away I don't understand that though, and I, while I'm 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 okay going with it, like I said, the film just keeps adding on these parts. So now everybody has to give a part of themselves to the mangler in order to do what? Stay rich, I guess. Is the premise of that? Is that is that what they're getting at when uh, Robert Englund's character Bill Gartley is talking about everybody giving a piece of themselves? They almost become sort of like a rich generic asshole after that you know what the mangler turns him into a rich generic asshole and sort of i guess it it ensures that they will be okay later in life you know that they, they, they'll be set for life they don't have to worry about anything until they die and go to hell <laughs> until they die and go to hell because they signed a you know deal. they signed a deal with the devil uh but again that doesn't really make sense it's not well defined within the film. Why is there a demon in this machine? Yeah, where did it come from? Where did this demonic machine... Why, why would a demon pick a mangler in a random factory? Like, that seems like the worst choice <laughs> by a demon. Is like, well, I want to cause minimum damage. <laughs> you know, I let, let's confine this to one to factory. A, to a sleepy town in Maine. Yeah. And... It doesn't... It, yeah, the, all the logistics of it, they do, they just don't make sense. They don't at all. Um, but that's, that is a good question. Like, what? why does the demon choose this giant mangler to possess rather than something that would be so much more useful? I can think of many things, like a car. Although, I guess at that point, Stephen King's already done that with Christine. So it's not really, you know, can't really go there again. So we got to pick a, a laundromat. Isn't it the Family Guy bit? Like we're like, how about a spooky piece of paper? Ooh, yeah, like, yeah. Yes, there is, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Stephen, that won't work. And he's like, ooh, <laughs> he's like you're just you're just moving the paper. Ooh, yeah, that is a bit. That is, I mean, and that's that's kind of the scenario here in the Mangler. It's like, 
this well that's this, what this almost seems like it's like well we did like a dog we did a car let's do a, a so, let's do a sewing machine you know? yeah do a giant laundromat <laughs> press did a hotel so that doesn't make sense um Robert England's character has a, a protege that he like keeps locked away in a room until he forces her to I don't know become his his uh assistant his with sex slavey vibes yeah it, what what is up with that it's poorly why, defined why is a 16 year old wearing like lace lingerie and why is a 16 year old working sweatshop hours in this quaint small town yeah no they, again his niece who's six, 15 before she turned 16 yeah she's working in this fucking like factory Yep. And I'm pretty sure in the 90s, even then, you couldn't do that. Why? What you could do, you could light cigarettes up, though. That's like true. There, like there's no tomorrow. You could absolutely. Uh, oil in this uh, this laundry factory? Yeah, it's not a big deal. Light your cigarette up. It's fine. It's fine. There's nothing's going nothing's gonna to go up in smoke. It's not combustible in here. Um, okay, I'll, I'll pose another question to you. Why does the photographer, the the crime scene photographer, whose name is JJJ Pictureman, for whatever reason, someone was like, you know... Sleeping that day. Well, someone was like, what would be an interesting name for this guy? Like, um, three J's. What in the possible fuck could three J's stand for in your name? John... Three J's and... I can tell you. And a last name. I'm going to tell you right now. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, yeah, Pictureman. <laughs> yeah, with with Jingleheimer being hyphenated. Well, no, no, John Jacob Jingleheimer. John John hyphen Jacob. It would be John hyphen Jacob Jingleheimer. John Jacob Jingleheimer. Jingleheimer hyphen Schmidt. His name was my name too. Or it could be John Jacob Jingleheimer. Schmidt, Schmidt hyphen Pictureman because yeah. his parents got divorced and he had to get another last name or something. They wanted to keep the name. Complicated. Anyway, why does this photographer have a f- ancient car- a camera that he's taking all these crime scene photographs with? Something from like L.A. Noir. It really is. It's you like got- a 1940s like, hey, a- see, I'm taking a picture here. Yeah, no, I was expecting every time he showed up for the fucking coroner from L.A. Noir to come up, he'd be like, I'll check for semen samples, too. <laughs> <laughs> Optimistical. It's a real, for, for one, for, I mean, the character itself is like really weird. Like, On yeah, purpose. Like, he's like, he, like, I've never seen Twin Peaks. But I can tell you from what, like, the clips and shit I've seen, he seems like somebody who would be in fucking Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's just a really weird character overall. And he seems to have no connection, no bearing on on the Mangler itself whatsoever. But then, towards the end of the film, he's, like, our source for exposition. He's the only reason why we get any sort of exposition about this. Because he leaves a book for uh, Ted Levine's character, John... To look through, and it has all of the pictures of previously deceased members of the of the rich families in a booklet. And it's like, 
this guy's been collecting this booklet for years. And he knew about it. He didn't fucking he, tell him. He never did anything about it. He's yeah. just collecting. He's like, well, I like collecting pictures. It took, it took, it took him like that forever to figure. Like, Wait a second. There's a pattern here. You know, I'm not really sure what exactly his motivation is. Because and not only that, John's been sheriff, you know, for quite a while. So how does he not know about like these missing people? There's yeah, there's missing people. Um, apparently, this is the only time that a, a death with the mangler has been publicized because every other time that it, a death has occurred to the mangler, apparently no one knows about it. Well, they just report they missing. They just were missing. Well, it's probably, well that... they, they were probably doing it smart. They weren't fucking throwing people in there, like, in the middle of factory hours. And be like, Nothing to see here, folks! I don't know. The way that uh, Robert Englund's character just laughs it off. In front of and, everyone. And does, like, a little jig, like, well, maybe uh, Scrooge. Well again, from... well, again, it's like, it's like, it's the, the jungle. It's like, well, what are you gonna do? Nothing. You're not gonna do a damn thing. Get back to work. That's true. So that he, is true, yeah. He's like, you know, like, yeah! Like Scrooge, you know. Yeah, Robert Englund in this film is kind of like a cross between Scrooge and the Crypt Keeper, and and because he's unnecessarily missing lots of parts of his body, but he's also got a really terrible makeup job going on, and he is a delight. He is a delight. He is acting like he's like he's gone off the rails too, I, and that's kind of a Robert Englund thing. I think you know, post Nightmare on Elm Street. That was kind of his shtick for all characters. Like, if you watch this one, uh, Wishmaster, some of his other 90s films, there was definitely no nuance to his portrayal of any of his characters. It was it was more just so, like, go over the top with it. And I think, like you were saying when we were watching the film, I think Toby Hooper just allowed that. He was just like, Robert, just do what you want to do. From what I understand... Again, this is like from like people talking about like Poltergeist. Is he's very hands off. It's like yeah. just do what. That's why people say like he didn't like really direct Poltergeist because he was just like yeah whatever just do just, yeah. yeah hands off do it do what you gotta do you know not he's not like Kubrick or Scorsese being like no no you're gonna do it exactly yeah you know or like Sergio Leone like no it's gonna and, be exactly this and way clearly with the Mangler there were no multiple takes. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a one and done scenario. You know, I was thinking about you know what Ted Levine's like voice reminds me of. You ever, remember like from like season one of or season it's neither season one or season two of South Park, the woodshop you're squat screwing around, oh, yeah. you, know, you know, yeah, and he's having like flashbacks of his wife who like dies in a bloody like plane crash, and they had like the fucking like like. Like actual live action scenes, like with her, and he's like, "Oh no, oh no!" He's constantly like popping pills and shit. Yeah, like well, that's the, Ted Levine's character. Like I know that's what I'm saying. So I'm thinking like from that, like they Trey, Trey and Matt were making fun of that probably. Yeah, because literally his character's like, "Quit scrolling around, damn it!" You know, he's popping pills and shit, and he's having flashbacks about his wife's death, and that's what Ted again. Ted Levine's like, "Ah, oh, my wife." She died in a car accident. It's like, it has no bearing on the plot. That's a a big thing within the film is like, Ted Levine's wife died. And it's like, okay. And it goes nowhere. Yeah, it's like, okay. (laughs) She died. All right, people die. I know, and he even have his brother-in-law, who's his wife's, you know, brother, be like, yeah, people die. You gotta... You move on from it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the whole idea of that is. Like, why... It's not even a big thing for John. It's not like he has this sort of, like... He we don't even see. It. I said we don't even see flashbacks. He doesn't care. He's, he's you know. It's well, just like, he doesn't care. He does. You see him yeah. like he talks about it, but it's not nuanced or brought up enough to where it's like it's meaningful. It doesn't yeah. have any meaning. It's just like it's it's just like a character point. Like, 
Oh yeah, and his wife died from a car accident. Maybe that's why he has an ulcer. And he feels guilty because he was a driver. Yeah. But again, like it has like no real bearing on the plot. It doesn't develop his character. It's really just like a plot point. Like, like it's like to like make it seem like it, there's a deeper nuance to him when there really is it. And him, you know, popping antacids like he's like I should have eaten the meatball marinara today with the oregano. Let's get you know, heartburn. And seriously, shame on that journalist who wrote the headline that she died in a horror smash. Yeah, Sher- Sheriff's wife dies in horror smash. Which, which She went to the ball in Hocus Pocus like, and died doing the monster mash? Like, well, I don't get it. Yeah, that was a... That's a that's a really wordy headline to say not a whole lot because then people still have to read the article and be like, well, what was the smash? It, you know, it's and and that, not only that, out of respect to like the the town family. sheriff and in, the family, yeah, yeah. In the family, you're like use the term horror smash. <laughs> Seems like you probably should be like. Uh, Wife dies in traumatic car crash uh, instead of just, like, going for the full-on uh, publications, you know, like... Apparently it was... In the, we're looking for readership I say, apparently up in the small town of buttfuck nowhere uh, in Maine, they got the post up there. Yeah, they're, they're going or the tabloid. Or daily news, you know? Like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And no wonder... Yeah, no wonder he feels bad with that kind of... <laughs> He's got... It wasn't just a car crash. You smashed that car. You Horror. smashed it. Horror smash. Yeah. No wonder he feels bad. Um. Yeah. I, but you know what? What? What else we got for for the plot here? Because, like I said, none of it makes sense. Uh, his brother-in-law is like a fucking worldly shaman, demonologist. Yeah. Like, he's uh. Uh. I think he calls himself. We don't get to. F- the full phrase, but I think he's going to call himself a theosopher because, uh, you know, a made up word. Well, it is a word, but I mean like a theologist sort of thing. I know that's a word. I don't think theosopher is a word. I think if you put that down on your Scrabble board, someone's going to call bullshit instantly. But I think that's what he's, that's what he's getting at when he's, uh, interviewing Sherry and, uh, he called, he asked if she's a virgin. Um, (laughs) It's, uh, like, this guy, as you were describing, is a cross between, like... Paul McCartney and Russell Brand. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an odd haircut, for sure. And beard combo. He literally looks like he came off the, like, Baby I'm Amazed, like, video for Wings and Russell Brand and, like, the crappy remake of Arthur. <laughs> Would you laugh if I... <laughs> well, he doesn't have a British accent. No, he... He has an accent, though. He, he has, has an, an accent, accent, but it's not. What it's it is. not. I can't it's place not it, really. British. It's just. It's something. Daniel Matmore is something. Some sort of accent. Um, yeah, his presence is um, not that useful, to be honest with you. It's like it's almost because he's there, so it could be a kind of like a part buddy cop movie. Yeah, he is kind of a buddy cop because <laughs> all of his his antics. Or just get on the nerves of Ted Levine's character. And make him constantly say, yeah, what a beer. Yeah. Adding adding to the possible possibility was Ted Levine drunk, and that's not even in the script. It's just him like, is there a six-pack in there? <laughs> no wonder he's got a fucking ulcer. He's got a pop tums. You can't have beer with an ulcer. It's going to totally aggravate that. But everybody seems to have an ulcer in this film. Everybody needs an antacid. Even even his brother-in-law, 
takes an antacid and says, well, I don't normally take drugs. He's like, well, fucking, that's not really a drug. (laughs) Okay? It's calcium that you're taking. It's pretty much not doing anything. Well, no, what's great is the one, the first lady that dies is the old lady that's been working in this fucking sweatshop for 50 years. And she gets fucking grinded up by the mangler because she drops three tums in the fucking, you know. The mangler. In the the mangler, and she's trying to get them. It's like, did you need them that bad? It's not like they're like nitroglycerin pills. Yeah, that's the thing. I was thinking like, oh, maybe it was like aspirin or something. Some people take baby aspirin. It's important for their blood thinner. Uh, this is an acid. There's no, like, no one is, is like, this is a life or death situation. You know, you need Tums on you at all times. There's not, there's no scenario where it's like, um, oh, you know what? I ran out of Tums. I don't have any more in my car. Um, all right, let's stick my hand in this, uh, rolling pin and, and we'll give it a shot to get them. It doesn't. Yeah, no, it's just I at least you know if it, at least if it was an aspirin, it would have made a little bit more sense. I, mean, I didn't realize it because they don't show what like what it is going in. No, there. it actually does look like aspirin. I thought it was aspirin at first, and I was like, okay, they just I look mean, like big pink pills. No, they're white pills. They, they were pink. They're white. They look pink. I don't know. They I were, thought they were white. So I thought they were look, aspirin. Looked like it was Pepto Bismol in a fucking at, like pill form. Like, I definitely like, thought they're aspirin, especially how like. Ted Levine's character was like chomping on him, like it, like you see a lot of characters in movies chomping on aspirin. That's like a big thing in movies. It's like people chew their aspirin. No, not really. Most people don't chew aspirin. They swallow it because it tastes fucking terrible. So I tried it one time because I was like, "Well, I see everybody else do it. Looks pretty cool. I'm gonna chew my aspirin. Yeah. It tastes horrible." Yeah, no thanks. The bottle says to swallow, but I'm, I'm, I'm not breaking that rule. It does work a lot faster. <laughs> well, like I said, take the liquid gels so, next time, uh, cheap bastard. Til. Today I learned. Like for it, all you people. Like I said, that's just common sense, though. It does. Yeah, it does get into your bloodstream faster. It works a little bit faster. If you have a really terrible headache, it will help. But but other than that, it tastes terrible. But that's what I thought she was going for. Because at least that makes a little bit more sense. No, that's not worth... Like, again, you have a fucking bottle of them. True. Well, so I, th- and I even feel if like those were the last ones. But, but then even in her purse, she, she ended up more. having more. Because Ted so Levine really, takes them. So, yes, that doesn't make any sense But again, again, even if it's just aspirin, you have a really bad headache. You don't... It's yeah. not worth getting mangled up. You know, You're going to have a worse headache. Maimed and killed. <laughs> just, again, like I said, like it, I, it'd make more sense if it's like, like nitroglycerin pills. And you don't want to end up like fucking Hector Salamanca. Yeah. Like, if I don't take this pill, I'm going to be going... Yeah, yeah. Wheelchair. Yeah, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but maybe she just... Well, at least that's what Robert Englund was saying, though. Stupid bitch. You know, (laughs) she was. Why why do that? Why risk your life for a bunch of antacids? Calcium pills. He enjoyed it, though. Yeah. He was doing a little jig. Yeah. Um, Like I said, uh, Mark Jackson's house looks like he stepped right into a Tim Burton film. (laughs) Uh, it's just basically wind chimes and uh, a bunch of uh, fog fog and lights. Um, and he even does like a merry little shuffle on his bridge that he has over like a river in his own yard. It's it's a little weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, at first we thought we, he might have had a gay relationship with John. Until they yeah, they looked like they were, bo- they were boyfriends, like sitting down eating a steak dinner, which had their steak dinner was steak and a slight like slice of tomato. A couple like slices of like peppers. The only thing worse than that it's is like, it's dipping like... it in ketchup like Mr. Trump does. Oh my god, what a fucking child. 
Um, yeah, but it's, you're it's, not worthy of steak if you eat anyone. If you don't eat your steak with ketchup, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. That's that's just a travesty right there. I was glad to see that at least Ted Levine did not eat his steak with ketchup. If he was going to eat it, he was going to eat it plain. Would you like hear Gordon Ramsay like say like how disgusting that it is? Disgusting. It is. No, you're no, you're right. It's a travesty. I don't put anything. I don't you like put any sauce. I mean, I love steak sauce. I don't use it for steak though, because steak is delicious. And if you do it right, medium rare. Learn it, folks. One truth in life. You don't need it because it's nice and juicy and tender. Juicy and tender there. Yeah. But, you know, um, yeah. I just hate when I see steak getting, like, you know, ruined. Mm, I don't know. I I don't eat it that often. I like to, you know, keep it special. Um, Where did you think of the rest of the cast? Because a lot of them are unknowns. Like, we talked about Vanessa Pike a little bit. Um, She's literally there to scream. Yeah, she plays Sherry, and literally, that's that's all she does, is very outlandish screams. Yeah. Just give it your all. Um, I did like Daniel Mantamore. I thought he was... Pr- I, 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 he, Matt, he Matt wasn't... Moore, you, he, you are like... When you read the, the credits, you are like <laughs> Dr. Steve Brule saying things. Because I don't know what you're reading, but you're adding vowels and, and consonants and just <laughs> all kinds of things. Sorry, Daniel Matt, Daniel Matmore. My bad. I have bad vision. No, I know. I know. It's just funny. You're just like Dr. Steve Brule. <laughs> Making shit up now. Yeah. <laughs> For your help. I can't see the name, so I'm just gonna make it. Strangus. Um, no, I think he's good. Yeah, no, I, I, I like he him has too. A poor haircut. <laughs> he's he's campy and delightful. Yeah, um, you're right. Well, like we talked about with him being like the kind of the comic relief because there's a whole bunch of times where he's the bit like when like they literally pull the jeep aside. Like go it's a, over. It's a time sensitive scenario. Yeah, yeah, time sensitive to get get back to the factory to try to stop, you know, the sacrificing of Sherry to the Mangler. They just for no reason pull the jeep aside so he can get out and say, "Okay, I'm going to read this incantation in Latin or English. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Right off the bat, it's like I'm going to read it in English or Latin. It, it doesn't matter. And these are the words you have to say." And, Ted Levine's just fucking pacing about, like, all right, shit. And he's, like, telling him, like, these are the words you have to say. He's like, God, I gotta go. Shit. Fuck. And, and then they get back at the Jeep and go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, you couldn't, do, you couldn't do that while you were driving? Totally pointless scenario. And it makes it even more pointless because when they get to the whole incantation thing... He starts doing the incantations in Latin, and the bits he was telling that Ted Levine's supposed to say isn't he fucking saying. He just starts throwing holy shit at the, at the mangler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking great. I think other than that, there's not really anybody else that's in this. In no, this it's film just that's really no, like worth just, mentioning. No, Jeremy Crutchley is pretty good as Pictureman and the Mortician. I thought he had some good range there. He's probably one of the better actors that they have in this film. Um, no, he's good too, cause I, I, and Pictureman too, because like I said, he gives a really good, like, creepy, weird, vi- Twin Peaksy vibe. Yeah, of- he's almost like w- way more nuanced. It's almost like he was misunderstanding, like, everybody else is going cr- out. No, I, no, cause I, I think his, his, again, I think his vibe fits with the tone of what's going on. Yeah. I think he's, he's supposed to be the, 
your oracle for the story. Yeah. Problem is, he's, there's nothing really in him that makes him an oracle. He's the oracle, but at the same time, he's not really saying what needs to be said. He's just like... Yeah, he's not giving them any information that they actually need until after the fact. And again, it's supposed to seem like him and Ted Levine are like buddies and or whatever. Like at first, it seems like he's like a cop, like a CSI pick, you know... You know, picture taker for the police. Right. He's not. He's just some fucking guy that's taking pictures. He's a photographer. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it's like, they, it seems like they have like some kind of relationship that they've known each other forever, but then it's like, maybe they really didn't. You know, it's, it's very mis, like misleading and taking you astray. But over, I, no, I think he did a really good job, though. I, like, I think he was, like you said, nuance is pretty good. Is yeah, a good he, word to describe it because he although he's out there and outlandish and goofy, it fit, I think the t- his the tone of what he's doing fits perfectly. Yeah. Um, and then as the mortician's great too because he's just like, oh yeah, yeah. You, you, you want a cherry tomato? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good as a mortician too. Like, even though that's really a stereotype of like morticians now that they're creepy. That they're, well, that not only that they're creepy, but they're like they don't really have much respect for like the dead and what they're working on they're they're more so like well i'll just you know make this into a joke you know yeah isn't this cool yeah Yeah. um which i totally understand where they're coming from in that sense it's like you see it so often it's just like yeah i'm dissecting another dead body you know it's not really a big deal it's just more so like it's almost like this is the best yeah he's like yeah this is the best i could do with the remains that came back you know the things i had to work with you see it all the time and you kind of get accustomed to it so i understand that i get that i get why that's like a stereotype but Still, they really went full on with that one. Um, one thing that we didn't talk about, which uh, is also way ridiculous, is the whole uh, part where the mangler actually comes to life after they do the uh, exorcism of it. And it then relies on a very, very poor CGI mangler monster um, that comes after them and follows them down into a giant pit that happens to be underneath, underneath this, the factory. Uh, well, I'm surprised there wasn't, like, some Lazarus pit down there with, like, Rachel Ghoul or, what you know. It does, yeah. I, I don't understand. First of all, we don't really get why there's this giant pit of, like, a huge stairwell. I guess it's because it's a demonic factory, so it's, they, yeah, it's so got to have, have whatever they want. To. Like, uh, dispose have, of the body, you know, what's yeah. left of the body down there in the pit, I guess. Um but that mangler cgi is really bad it's like it's like it's like an atari jaguar effect yeah you were like you, you said expect you were the, expecting like some sort of i was expecting like to hear like when it like pot like was roaming around like sega yeah it, it is really really bad um and you know the whole premise of a it's like a amazing becoming say, a monster i was saying it's amazing too couple of things kind of amazing about it one a year later the playstation would come out in north america yeah look when the shit on that looks a lot better than that thing did two the whole hinging thing of there's nightshade in the antacid um yeah and that was, uh... and, and that's an occultist thing so not only did their incantation like try to stop it isn't going to work it's made the machine stronger yeah like that's a very like flippant i don't even remember them bringing up like nightshade it was belladonna is what it was that they did bring up earlier in the film 
And but again, it's so it's very flippantly covered. And I don't believe that Belladonna is actually in antacids. Yeah. Well, again, it's just but it ca- could ca- be, I guess. But I, I I don't really know. Um, apparently it it could be in certain ones. Um, but it does. I mean, it's a real. It's a stretch for for real. Um, it's a it's it's a weird scenario. But like I said, that's a very flippant plot point. It's a plot point, but it's like so like barely like yeah. in, within the weeds of the story. And I like get, and only like mentioned that one time, and then when you get to the thing, like oh, I get what they were going for there because they want they didn't want to be so generic as to include like oh it's just virgin's blood, you know they they wanted to to trick the audience into thinking that that's what it was, and then it actually was Belladonna. I get that totally, but I think that the Belladonna is such a small portion of this film altogether. And like you said, you miss it if you if you tune out for one second. There's only like one conversation about Belladonna at all, and then if you miss that. You know that when they bring up the yeah. belladonna and the antacid, there's no real. You know, you're like, well, what the fuck does that mean? You know, it, it doesn't really register. So, um, I mean, I I don't think that the end of this film, the conclusion, is really where someone's going to be like, well, I was in it till now. <laughs> you know, I was really following until they did that. Um, it, because that does happen sometimes, where you you you've been following the film for so long, you're like. Wow, this is really great. This is really great. Then towards the end, you see, actually see the monster or something, yeah, like, and you're taken fuck? out of it, and you're like, yeah. "Well, that really just ruined all the premise to what I was really getting into." Uh, that's not that's not the case <laughs> with the Mangler. Uh, I don't really. I'm think... not saying it, it's it's ruining the film. I'm just saying it's it, it, it's very flippant. Yeah, yeah and how it, it handles it. And I don't think that the CGI uh, Mangler ruins the film either. No, it enhances. Uh, it in, yeah, it, it, just, enhance- it just makes it even cheesier. No, when fucking he gets um, Ted Levine's brother-in-law gets you know oh, ripped, smashed and ripped, half. ripped in half by some like random robot arm. Oh, that's awesome! It's a great effect. When fucking Robert England gets you know ps- ps- just compressed into like yeah, you totally can't see that his head is sticking up from some other place. <laughs> you totally can't see it. It's very well hidden. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Tom Savini did not do the effects on this one, <laughs> but uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that no one's gonna be like thrown out of this film by the whole mangler effect. But it is really bad. Just, just keep that in mind as you're watching it, because what do you think of the rest of the effects? Like, like I said, like the, with Robert England and well, people- Robert England's uh, makeup is is not very good. I, I don't really think that it's good. I think it's like a mimic of. Um, Freddy Krueger, except going less burned. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost the same style, except instead of burn, it was an old man. Yeah. And it's not very good. It's not very um, creative, I don't think. Um, I think some of the mangler effects, like where the, there's actually getting like steamrolled, I think those look okay. I, I think it's probably the best that they could do on the budget. And the mangler looks awful. The mangler does look awful. It looks like a, like, Paper mache, yeah. made out of uh, like the and and the explosion, woo, is really bad. <laughs> yeah, and 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 the effect that um comes out of the ice chest as well is sort of like poltergeist light. You know what I mean? It's it's 
It's it's even worse than <laughs> yeah. what they did in Poltergeist for any of those sort of like blue and that was like blue effects. It was like thirteen years earlier. Yeah, spirit <laughs> effects. Um, yeah, I don't think Toby Hooper's at the top of his game here, and uh, I don't think it's necessarily his fault per se. I think it's probably a combination of like funding. Um, I'm gonna guess some of it had to do with just rushing it out. If I, it? if I had to guess, it's a new know, line film. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking like. <laughs> New Line was like, you you need this out at this time. Probably not a lot of time for, you know, production and post-production. You get a month. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, this is, I, I would be interested to see how Toby Hooper looks back on this film too. You know, uh, getting an interview with him about The Mangler. Because I'm assuming that he's not happy with it and probably not happy with a lot of his 90s work. Um, he did a couple other movies too that just really... They're not up to up to snuff with what he can do, you know, and what he's shown before. Like I, I love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love the Funhouse. Those are one of my favorite. Those some of my favorite films of Toby Hooper's, um, you know, and some of the other ones he definitely goes a more comedic route, like Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre, Massacre Part Two. Um, definitely more of a, a comedy route, which I don't, I don't love. Um, so I think he has his hit and misses, but definitely in the '90s there were a lot of misses, and I I don't know if that was. Let's say to be fair, totally different decades. Exactly, I think seventy seventies, especially when like Texas Chainsaw came out, it's more. That's you know it's an exploitation film. It's yeah. coming more in line with the horror. There's of the, like of the time more grounded and. There's definitely expectations in the '90s for it to be campier and. If you watch many films in this time period, uh, like Wishmaster, um, they all have this sort of feel to them. Uh, that's like a almost, even though they're depicting like horrible deaths and stuff, there's still like this light, weird lightheartedness to them. That, that whimsy, yeah, right, exactly. That makes them like stand out in in almost. If you think of like how a Friends episode ends or something <laughs> like that, you know, like something happens, there's a falling out. But then it ends on like a okay note. That's that's how most of these horror films go, and you can't really expect it. Can you just imagine at the end of this, like Jerry Seinfeld being on stage, like it's yeah. all this is what happened? Yeah. Well, that's what, kind of what what's the deal with these logic? That's yeah. kind of what does happen in the yeah. Mangler because <laughs> at the end, uh, Ted Levine revisits the factory because he thinks like, oh, they've beat, they beaten the Mangler. He got um, Sherry out safe. He goes to see her. Has flowers. Uh, and notices, oh, she's basically her grandfather or her uncle. uncle. I mean, um, the same, the same the sort six, of the asshole. Si- yeah, the sixteen-year-old now runs this factory. Yeah, and she, because she gave a part to the mangler, she's now become that sort of person who runs the factory and is basically just like Robert Englund's character. And she's you know waves at him, and we get like the music, like. Yeah, you it's know, kind like, of like, like a, a little is. goofy little yeah. little ending. And he, but, just, and he just gets in his car and yeah, leaves. But Ted Levine just leaves. He's like, "Well, well fuck this! I'm, all right, I'm leaving town. I guess there's no uh, there's no saving this town, so we'll just pack up and go someplace else." And that's there's nothing stopping him. He lost his job. He is not effective anymore. Um, but which, time, by the way, that's that's a great sequence when, like, after he gets done fighting with Robert England, he's like, I'll get you fired from your job or whatever. And he's driving, he gets a call from his boss. He's like, hey, why don't you take a vacation? And he's like, I'm not taking a vacation, goddammit. Like, all right, that's it, you're suspended. And he's like, is this you? 
I'm going to come for you. He's like, you're fired. Yeah, it's a very, very, very quick moment where he, so it just, goes from, it goes from, hey, maybe you just want to take a vacation to you're done. You're yeah. fired. Um, but th- that end scene where he drives away is almost like Terminator. A, well, Terminator, but it's almost, it's like a happy ending. It's like, oh, well, our, the music, yeah, yeah the, the, the way the music's playing and like the way, again, like she's waving at him, like. You know, it, again, it's not supposed to be like, oh, you know, it's again, it's like, oh, she's been corrupted. She's been possessed. They lost, you know, but like, you got this happy music playing. Like, like, you expect, like, you know, like him to be like, wink and give like a thumbs up and like, it's like slowly fade and have like, a, like end credits. Like, this is what they went on to do afterwards. Right. Yeah. A little bit like uh, he and- drove off and he lived in Kansas yeah. for the rest of his life happily mm-hmm. ever after. Um, and that you, you're right. That whimsical there was. Well, I don't know if I would say whimsical, but it's more like a sort of Enya Bjork style music at the end. Um, little it, little it, early for Bjork. <laughs> it takes away from like wh- how we're supposed to feel about that. It's like oh, they lost. You but know, then again, the sound sa- the soundtrack is literally that. There's nothing in the soundtrack to hint at horror. Or, you know, to elicit anything of, like, dread, horror, creepiness, terror. It's constantly this early to mid-90s, like, just, like, again, as you said, TV movie music of, like, when he's, like, sitting down eating steak with his brother-in-law. And it's, like, you got this, like, oh, what's going on? You got, like, this, like, like, you know, this, like, low piano music playing, like... Oh, tell me about your day. And, like, you know, you expect, like, Bob Saget to come out down. Like, honey, this is why, you know, we can't be mean to people. <laughs> Friends are very important. Yeah. Why don't it's, you say you're sorry? It's definitely a weird tonal shift for the music. It doesn't really fit all the time. Um, yeah, I think the theatrical trailer actually does it a lot better. You know, with the, the trailer is misleading as all. It hell. is, yeah. They, it, the trailer, they make it look like it's a legitimate horror film. Which it is not. I know a lot of people hate the Mangler, but it's hard to find a lot to hate about it because it's just so fun and and hilarious. You're watching it for probably the wrong reasons, but still, it is hilarious. Uh, I don't think the two sequels are probably in that same boat. Probably not. If I had to guess... uh, I, for one thing, I don't know of I don't put my trust in anybody who saw the Mangler and like you know what this means <laughs> a sequel. This needs a sequel. <laughs> so it was like we didn't get enough of like a machine that kills people in the first film. Like we need another one. It's uh yeah not something I would pick to be as sequel material, but yeah, I've never seen the other two. So I I don't really want. To. No, I, I like... don't have much interest. In it. <laughs> it's more because I want my I I want. I want this to be just what this is. Yeah, is just it. just the mangler. Yeah. Um. All right. So out of ten laundry mat laundry pressing stations, what would you give the mangler? On an enjoyment scale. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll preface this on an enjoyment scale. This is a nine out of ten. <laughs> this is like troll two. You know, I even say even better than, like, Troll 2 for me. Like, in the levels of how... More fun. Ridiculous it is. But it's up there with, like, Troll 2, The Room, and just, like, how enjoyably bad this film is. Yeah. On an objective scale, this is a 4 out of 10. Probably even lower. 
But I, I, I'll give it as my my overall rating out of ten. I'll do it this. I'll do it this week. I'll give it the scale out of ten. Shit, fucks. I'll give this a five out of ten. All right. And that's combining how much you enjoyed. It I, how much I enjoy this film. Is it really a five out of ten film? No, it's not at all. It's a not a good film. Yeah. But it is. It is very fun. Yeah. I I I would find it very hard for people who love horror films, especially, to not enjoy this. Because a lot of people who like horror films also like campy schlock. You can't tell me, like, you think, like, like, most people would say, like, they love Nightmare. Because it's, you know, fun, but it's also scary. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people who like the franchise would be like, I like the third one, I like, you know, like, you know, because it just gets goofier and, you know. So you're telling me if you like something like that, there's no reason for you to watch this film and not like it. Right. Or same thing like Friday the 13th. Like, yeah. it, People were like, I like, you know, Jason in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for you to not like this film. Yeah, I agree. And so I would say, look, this is not a good film. It is not well done. It's tone deaf. The plot goes nowhere. Though it has a million points, they go nowhere. The acting is not well done at all, but it's fun. And I think overall, this is a very, this is a fun film to watch. I would... This is something I would watch on like the Halloween season, <laughs> yeah. Because it's just it's such an enjoyable film. Yeah, I don't think it should be an hour and forty five minutes. Yeah, this could easily be an hour and twenty. But it's a very fun. I'd give it a five out of ten just because just because of how fucking fun it is. Ted Levine, watch this film just because for Ted Levine, and just how like delightfully out of his mind he is. Yeah, I think I would probably give this a 4 out of 10. Um, and that's with, I probably would give it a like 3 for like how actually objectively good it is. But an 8 for how enjoyable it is. I just think that, I, I agree with you for most part of it. I just think that it runs a little bit long towards the end. Like an hour and 45 minutes is way too long yeah. for this film. And um, I think that it the enjoyment level goes down as you continue to see like the same things occurring, like people just getting fed into a machine and how how yeah how, no you're 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 right that's that is yeah. very repetitive. It, it gets repetitive and, and a little bit boring, and then you have to deal with Sherry screaming all the time, and you know there's, there's yeah that's but uh, yeah I would give it a, a probably a, a four out of ten um, altogether. Uh, based on enjoyment and how good the film is, I almost think I'd have to like overall give it a four instead of a like on, on like merit based quality like basing the film because I gave Mako a three. That's true. This film is not as bad as Mako. It's not as bad as Mako. No. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh, that's that's me ranking a film higher than you. Not. That's true. Yeah. No, and within this, doesn't happen within this genre. That doesn't. You know. Yeah. That's true. Um, all right, so what are we doing next week? You want me to pick? Yeah, you're, you're, it's your pick. I picked two, two, two weeks in a row, so you get to pick. All right, we'll finally do it before we start getting ready for our horror series. Yeah, because uh, we're, let's see, we're coming up to, what is it, like the 20-something uh, the next time we release an episode? Uh, today's we, the 16th, so two it'll more. be the 23rd. So we got two more weeks of August, and then we run right into our uh, new ho- our Halloween programming. 
So, yeah, we got two weeks to fill. All right, so All I, right. I, I already know what I want to do then. All right, so what are we doing? Big Trouble in Little China, finally. Sounds good to me. Our first Carpenter film. That'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. We're both huge Kurt Russell fans. Yeah. Both huge Carpenter fans. Yeah. We'll have a we'll have a blast. It'll fit right in with the Cult Exploitation Network. So it's great. Yeah. And uh, it'll be our first martial arts film too. That's right. We yeah, we we are lacking in the martial arts department, actually. For a podcast like this, eighty episodes in. I know, and, and, and like, yeah, film. like exploitation seventies yeah, films. Yeah. yeah. We're lacking for sure. We haven't done any Nazi exploitation, too. That's too topical for... Yeah, I mean, it's it's topical, but that's the point. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we'll do that one for the 30th or whatever day it would be. Um, But anyway, are we announcing our Halloween Fest yet? Or no, we're still keeping it under wraps? No, we're going to keep the... We're keeping it under wraps until September? Yeah, we'll keep the... Just uh, just so so you know, though, we're, we're starting in September. Because so. we've got a big block. We do. we got a lot of stuff to cover. We're not going to do like what we did with Saw and have it overrun into November uh-uh. by a mile. Nope. <laughs> we've, got, we've got this all set up, so it's going to be fun. Going to have fun. Uh, all right, so... Uh, administ- Before we go. Oh, sure. Got one more film to talk about real quick. Dunkirk. Because we're not going to do a full review on it. Yeah. But we did finally go see uh, Dunkirk. Yep. On uh, Monday. What'd you think? Great film. Loved it. I think it's one of the best war films I've probably ever seen, actually. Yeah, you know it what? was, uh, you know, and one of the fun things about Dunkirk is that it is a war film. It's it's set put, in put, World War II. Put the fun in air quotes, by the way. Fun, yeah, fun in air quotes. <laughs> um, it's it's a world. It's a war film. It's set in World War II, but the cinematography is often very um, almost contemporary in the way that it, it's shown. You get a lot of like color. Uh, especially set on the Dunkirk coast, you have a lot of that color with the uh, the sea, and that's different from a lot of war films where it's kind of like gunmetal gray all the time. You know what I mean? It's like a Saving Private. Yeah, Ryan. it's like a Saving Private Ryan, where it's like there's dirt and there's gray and there's drab, and this film is not that. It's not drab by any sense. Well, I think more. I think more modern. Yes, war films are like that. I mean, like Black Hawk Down, and you know. Saving Private Ryan, but I mean, if you think about like like the war films of like the fifties and sixties, like Bridge on a River Kwai is you know pretty colorful. It is, yeah. But I mean, that's because it's set in the Pacific Islands. And, mm-hmm. But no, I like Dunkirk a lot um, for several reasons. One, um, I love how they handle it. Dunkirk's a very, a very important World War Two event. It's the great miracle. It was a time when yeah. it looked like everything was at its bleakest. That, yeah. That, and this is, again, like, because I, I, I told my mom that I went to see Dunkirk, and she's like, what's Dunkirk about? I'm like, it's, it's about Dun- Dunkirk. She goes, what's that? And I go, I'm like, you don't know what Dunkirk, you know, what happened in World War II at Dunkirk? She goes, no, I didn't pay attention in history class. And I'm like, well, and I'm like, it's, it's pretty important. I'm like, the you know, the war possibly could have been ended right there. Mm-hmm. Just about if, you know, the Nazis were successful and beat back the French and the British. And if they didn't, you know, ease up on the attack and l- allow them to go back to the, uh, the island. So, I mean, so it, it, again, like, it's very, it's a very, 
although it's considered a miracle and a victory because to the British in the set a moral victory because they are able to evacuate uh, the four hundred thousand troops uh, that they had there three hundred thousand thirty thousand plus. You know they only expected to evacuate thirty thousand troops, right? So they were able to save you know get the, their army out of there in the nick of time, and so they could have a chance to fight. And it's a ve- it's so it is very it's very somber, and so what's like very important about it is the fact that a lot of war movies, especially like American ones, are very gung-ho like you know victories you know celebrate like the victories like saving private ryan like at the end of the day yeah though tom hanks died we beat the damn germans we got ryan out there you know all you know all's well it's you know very it's very somber it's like like i I would compare it to like say black hawk down yeah black hawk down is not a happy movie right you know what happened in you know somalia 91 was a shit show yeah, and and, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely very somber. It's definitely a Christopher Nolan film, uh, in terms of like, there's not really much celebrating. There's only no. one real scenario where there's celebration, and it's just that oh, the citizens from Britain have come on the boats to to pick us up. That's all the celebration that you get, and then after that, there's more somberness in that. Well, it's not a sure bet that you're going to make it off. You know what I mean? There's I know they still... got off and they got. That's this is another thing. The film like showed like I would out of all the branches to enlist for, I would never fucking sign up for the navy. Right. What that is one of the like you know getting like trapped yep. on a ship when it's sinking. It's like one of the most possibly miserable ways to die. Yeah. Would not want. I would rather be a pilot and get shot down, or you know, and crash and violently, or mm. have to like face like artillery shot. I like the idea of like ending up in like trapped in a ship, drowning. That's one of the most miserable thoughts out there. And this film does a very good job showing you people drowning. How that would be? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they. I mean, that's really good. I I love the the three stories that we get. They run concurrent on different timelines. Yeah, it's a great, great um, mix of how they kind of bring it all together. Um, And and often using it to uh, dash the viewer's expectations of what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, Really, really good show of that. And uh, really what I like, too, is that we don't really see our enemy. They're not even really labeled as such like they they're labeled as the enemy there's no real like name given to them you know it's not the nazis it's not there's no there's no name given and i think that is say like the germans yeah the germans sometimes but i think that's and we don't really see them either it's it's they're more of like a faceless enemy and i think that's a that's a really interesting aspect from nolan who's kind of giving us you know this scenario that happened in the past but also allowing it to have contemporary influence as well. You know, it doesn't matter who the enemy is. It there's a, there is an enemy and we ha- it's really an anti-war film. It's really about like look how much this sucks. Look look how shitty this is. I know, like I said, it's it's not a film like at the end you're leaving it like we won, you know. Yeah, like, or like, like, we or, did like it. or like, or like, hey, let's go out and you know, fight. It's not like at the end of Saving Private Ryan where, like, you know, 
is like one reviewer that I read was saying like this film does not have that like even though Saving Private Ryan it has gruesome and brutal moments it's still a Spielberg film so you still get some Spielberg whimsy in there like yeah. you know this is not this is not no one wants to go out there and there's nothing the- whimsical in this film at no. all and uh, the other thing that it makes a big deal of is showing that it doesn't matter who you're it doesn't matter like who you're fighting with they're all your allies so like the, there's a big deal between the British and the French in this film in that you're one or the other. And well, even that, though they're working together. Well, that that was happening at, at originally in, when they were doing the evacuation, they weren't going to take any of the French with them. Right. Yeah. So when the French were trying to help, you know, because what happened at, after, you know, when that happened, the French called, you know, they called the British traitors because they left they left them in the lurch like, oh, you guys are running back. Britain, thanks. We're gonna get fucked now. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's a huge which, theme in which, this film. which, which is true because it basically did leave the French to fend for themselves. But to be fair, if you're Britain, it's kind of like we have to, you know, look. You may guys may be fucked right now, but we have to go to fight another day. Yeah. Because if we, you know, sit here and try to stand our ground, then we'll we're be definitely done. That we're yeah. definitely fucked, and we're both gonna be fucked. Yeah. And then nothing's good decision, doing- but at the same time, it's you know, it shows just like. How much of a terrible decision, or how how much it would it would suck to have to make that decision, you know, and and showing like some of the generals who are you know have to to make that decision, like, well, no, you can't go, <laughs> you, you're stuck. Sorry, you're stuck here. It sucks, yeah. I know, but wait for another boat. Yeah, that, that's it is what it is. But yeah, I think that the film did a really great job with all of that, and you should definitely go out and see it because it's it's a really it, it's probably one of the best films that I've seen it's recently. Be- it's definitely the best film I've seen all year. Yeah, and um, it's it's two hours, but it goes really fast. It's it just flies by. As I was telling you, if it was ma- if it was made earlier, in like the fifties or sixties, this would be a four hour epic. Yeah. Like it was like fucking Cleopatra or something. I, I think it's a perfect length though. It just does what it needs to do, gets through all of its its plotting, and yeah, no, you're right. It is very well paced. It's it's and great. Hans Zimmer does a terrific job. Yeah, the the score is just excellent. The whole dog fighting when you hear Absolutely. the hear the constant uh, ticking of a watch because they're running low on fuel. Yeah, and it's just constantly serving to remind you of like the situation that they're in. It's very well done. Yeah, very well done. So go out and see Dunkirk. Still in theaters. Check it out. Uh, we give it a uh, a definite recommendation. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll be back next week with uh, Big Trouble, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, but for now, let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know what you think of um, our uh, watching, our viewing of The Mangler. And uh, write to us. Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. This, this definitely makes up for Mako. It's good. Good. I'm glad. Uh, let us know what you thought on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We're on there. Uh, we have a, a website, Blood and Black Rum Podcast at uh, dot wordpress.com. Um, and also, you can find us on cultsploitation.com because that is our podcast network. And let us know if you want to join. And uh, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash podcast. You can donate to us and uh, <laughs> help us with – bless you. Bless you. Uh, you can help us with all of our hosting costs. So uh, thanks a lot for listening. We will see you next week for Big Trouble in Little China. And take care until then.